Presidings Podcast is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman applies electromagnetic maneuver warfare to seamlessly target and combat enemy threats across any domain. By leveraging traditional spectrum-based and next-generation innovations, they're giving your forces a decisive advantage. That's why they're a leader in transformative airborne EW. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com slash EW. Proceedings Podcast, Tailhook Live Edition, Episode Number One. We're here in Reno, Nevada. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host Bill Hamlet, who is the Proceedings Editor in Chief. Bill, welcome to Reno, Nevada. Fantastic to be in Reno. It is yeah. fantastic, and, and for got- our preliminary show this time, we've got our good friend Heath Scarborough, who's a many-time contributor across all the mediums. He's been a guest on the podcast before, and we're here in person with him. It's a very uh, apt way to start our Tailhook podcast palooza. Podcast palooza. Yeah. 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 And uh, so we've got the September issue of Proceedings is here, and it's in every member's, every uh, guest swag bag. Yeah. So you, They're you, backpacks. You stuffed yeah. uh, 2,500 2,500 copies. I spent the bulk of yesterday Doing that. with some talented... H60 guys, guys. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a a fun team building exercise. We had quite (laughs) a uh, a assembly line going there, but there is a a copy of the September aviation theme proceedings in every uh, uh, swag bag. Yeah, awesome. So we're we're pretty cool. Happy about that. So we we beefed up the September issue instead of 96 pages uh, normal uh, proceedings. Magazine. We got 104 pages in the in the magazine. We made an extra room for a special section on the 50th anniversary of Top Gun. So uh, Heed and uh, his boss Proton McLaughlin wrote one of the five articles on Top Gun, and there's uh, starts on page 32 of the magazine, and it's called uh, Junior Officers: Top Gun's Foundation. So Heed, thanks for writing for us. Yeah, absolutely. And for getting your uh, your your boss on on uh, on the team for the win. Uh, and Proton was a, a commanding officer of Top Gun at one time. That's right. Yeah, he was the uh, uh, he was an instructor there uh, as a j- junior officer, and then he came back and was the skipper of Top Gun, and then the skipper of uh, Top Gun's parent command, Naval, Avi- Naval Aviation Warfare Development Center, Nautic. Uh, sorry, names changed over the past used couple be, of years. Used to be NSOC. Used to be NSOC. Yeah, right. Yeah. So day, he's yeah. he uh, he. Uh, both went through and instructed. He went through, instructed, and commanded the program. Wow. And then I'm a graduate of the program uh, as well, and did my uh, training, uh, my patchwear tour at uh, VFA 122, the Fleet Replacement Squadron in uh, Lemoore, California. Uh, Super Hornet yeah. F- FRS. That's yep. right. And uh, when did you go through Top Gun as a student? I graduated in t- uh, 2013. Okay. And so, was it a 12 week program at the time? It was. Um, I think it was 10 and a half weeks. Okay. Um, they, right after I graduated, they expanded it a little bit to try and, uh, the course was growing and, uh, they, they also wanted to adjust the instructor schedules a little bit, give them a little bit more time throughout the year to kind of work on what they were doing and, and hone their craft and refine the syllabus. So they stretched it to 12 weeks and reduced it from four classes a year to three classes a year now. Uh, so that's the kind of the current laydown of how Top Gun time-wise works. So the title of the article in the special issue is Junior Officers Top Guns Foundation. So what what's that all about? So the 
the idea for the uh, article kind of came out of discussions with uh, Proton and I when I was thinking back to my Top Gun experience. And, and for a lot of junior officers who are in the fleet, they're in their first fleet tour. They're flying uh, tactical aircraft for the first time. Uh, and uh, they're hearing a lot about this Top Gun program. And, you know, who, who are these guys? What is that? Your only exposure prior to getting to the fleet may be the movie, you know, from the 80s, right? Uh, and so there's, there's kind of a mystery about it. Um, and over time, you get exposure with your, your squadron training officers who are second tour lieutenants who are there to uh, kind of uh, maintain the uh, standardization of the squadron to uh, evaluate your progression through the, your training syllabi uh, and kind of set the tone tactically for the squadron. You get some exposure to them and, and, you know, if they think that you have a chance of going to Top Gun and being successful, they may start kind of pitching that to you. Well, when I got to Top Gun the first time, I was completely blown away by the instructors that were there. You have this impression, I think a lot of people maybe have an impression that you're going to get there and these guys are going to be uh, real tough on you and all they're going to care about is, you know, can you recite this rote information or are you perfect all the time? You know, the, it it's more of a evaluator role that kind of proliferates. And the Top Gun instructors that I encountered were couldn't have been further from that. They were absolutely approachable. They were 100% committed to making sure that I got everything out of the syllabus that I could. They cared about my success. They came in on their free time. They opened up the shop on the weekends. Um, and they also operated with a huge amount of autonomy. Um, you never saw the, the Top Gun CEO around unless he was flying in an event with you. You never saw some 04 barking at these guys. Um, and so that, that idea, that impression kind of kicked around for a long time in the back of my mind. Uh, and then um, Proton would always say, uh, there's a quote in the article that says, he would say that he's the third most important person at Top Gun when he was the commanding officer. He said, I'm the third most important person at Top Gun behind the training officer, who's sort of the, the king J.O. there, and then the standardization officer, who's another lieutenant. So so he had the this philosophy as well that the, the lieutenants run the show here. And so when... Um, uh, Bill, when you asked me if I would consider putting something together and, you know, if Proton and I could put something together, that's immediately where my mind went was my just the lights coming on when I checked into Top Gun and I saw how much these instructors who are busy people and have their own lives. Right. And, and they're on their shore duty, allegedly, how much they really cared and how much they drove what Top Gun is and how it functions. And I, that that impression has stuck with me now, what, six, seven years later, almost. So that, that was one of the things that came through as uh, we put this package together. We knew we were going to be out here at Reno. We knew we were going to be putting copies of the September issue in, in every one of those backpacks. Uh, and we knew it was the 50th anniversary of Top Gun. So we wanted to have a special section on it. Mm -hmm. right? So we reached out uh, through you and through others in the naval aviation community to try to find some people who had been instructors at Top Gun or commanded Top Gun. Uh, through a second-order connection we got through to Pops Papayano, mm -hmm. who wrote one of the chapters in this, right? So we got five articles about uh, different aspects of Top Gun, one sort of bioboranics from the 80s, uh, tracing the history of Top Gun, and then there's one about the culture, and then you guys wrote about the JOs, and then uh, Pops wrote a piece about the impact of Top Gun, sort of how that 
that culture and that uh, concept of excellence, really, right? And the WTI or SFTI mm-hmm. program is now has now infused into the rest of the Navy that has WTI programs, weapons tactics instructors. Um, but one of the things that came through in all of those was the JO, right? Was the culture of excellence, and and it wasn't just about uh, being the ace of the base, right? So coming to Top Gun and getting to be a great, you know, take your game from good to great. Uh, it's no good if you just go back to Oceana or you go back to Lemoore and you're the ace of the base, right? You have to be a trainer. You have to be an instructor. Right. You have to be able to impart that knowledge, that expertise in a squadron that you go back to or the weapons school or to be a Top Gun instructor after you've gone through and, and been a graduate, right? So that, that idea that, that this is junior officers who, who have to be not just really good aviators, and tacticians, but they've got to be great instructors or great teachers. Right. And that and that proliferates out from Top Gun to the weapons schools. So each uh, uh, Hornet, Super Hornet base has a weapons school. It's kind of a local schoolhouse that does training for the local squadrons. They give lectures. They do some tactics development. You have your test guys that work in the uh, test and evaluation community. You have guys that do what I did, which is the fleet replacement squadron training brand new Super Hornet aviators. Um, so, so the Top Gun graduates kind of proliferate throughout the fleet, and it forms kind of this network of sort of mutually reinforcing feedback. So the, the instructors at Top Gun are getting continuous feedback from the rest of the instructors around the fleet. And, it, you know, it's almost like a you know, crowdsourcing kind of, kind of thing. They take this feedback. The Top Gun guys go back. They, they iterate with tactical development and, and procedures, um, and then – they push that out to the fleet and they say kind of like, okay, guys, now we're going to recommend this. You try this and kind of feed back to us. And it's really pretty impressive that this is all lieutenants on their, you know, first short tour, second sea tour, pretty young uh, in terms of career progression that are, that are doing this. And, you know, any skipper that, um, you know, has half a brain, any CAG that has half a brain is going to listen when a Top Gun graduate speaks. And that's because, you know, I think of the historical weight of what Top Gun is and the, the reputation of the program, but also because the people that get picked to go to Top Gun are picked to uh, embody that sort of commitment to instruction and m- sort of making naval aviation better, right? It's not just, I mean, there were so many flights in Top Gun where me and Mouth Stewart, my pilot, um, where, where we just got our tails kicked, you know, we just got our, you know, they just handed our butts to us on a plate right and the, the these instructors could have just said do better like you guys sorry you guys are terrible you're seeing this one again and they didn't do that they sat down with you and they taught you and they made you a better aviator and so by the end of the course uh mouth and i were probably as good at flying the super hornet as we'd ever been and we still couldn't hold a candle to these guys and yet they still you know cared about sitting down and teaching us and working through it and i think that's part of the impact of top gun is that it's not just you're putting a patch on your shoulder and then you know kind of job done right. it's now the work really begins the first time i had a squadron co ask me a question as a patch wearer, he expected an authoritative answer and it takes a little bit of humility to be able to say you know what sir i don't know the answer to that question let me go find out and get back to you and then you got to go do the work and go do it and every single instructor at Top Gun embodied that ethos and it really is impressive to you know it 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 runs counter to a lot of the stereotypical sort of you know hey you're young you're you don't have as much experience as me you've never done a tour at the Pentagon or Millington or whatever it runs counter to sort of that sort of mindset to to watch these young junior officers be empowered to really shape the way 
um, the strike fighter community works. So uh, a question for you about uh, standardization. So mm-hmm. well, that's one of the things is that, that this program that creates these, you know, Jedi masters, right? And then you go back into the fleet or your, your payback tour, as you said, either at the RAG like you did or a weapon school or, or a Top Gun itself or the VX-5 or the test community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the one of the goals of that is to make sure that training across the Super Hornet community is standardized, right? Right. Uh, and then there's also the feedback mechanism. So can you... Can you give some an example of kind of feedback or, or an issue that you provided feedback to Top Gun when you were in your your feedback your payback? Tour? Sure, sure. So when I was a FRS instructor, um, we see at the FRS we see kind of the basic reps and sets of strike fighter aviation more than anybody else because we we have so many students, we fly so many events, we do so many simulators that we see the basic kind of blocking and tackling of of strike fighter execution probably as much or more than anybody. And over the course of um, my, my tour there, um, I kept hearing feedback from some of our simulator instructors who are these, you know, salty uh, old uh, former A7 uh, F-18 Alpha, you know, old attack guys who are, who are still living the dream flying the simulators. And they see a, a trillion rag students over the course of their lives. And they would come back and they'd give me feedback and be like, you know, we're seeing this tactic and, Top Gun's putting out this, but when, when we see it executed in in the way that they're putting it out, the, the tendency is for this result to happen. You know, Top Gun says this should happen, but we're seeing like this. Could you could you engage with them on that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I collected some more data. Um, I, I got some concrete examples, and I just emailed the Top Gun instructor who was responsible for that, um, for that area of air-to-air execution. And I said, hey, man, you know, feedback from me from the from – the, uh, the tactics instructor shop at VFA 122 is we think that this tactic that you guys are putting out is probably could probably be tweaked in such and such a way. The Top Gun instructor uh, up here in Fallon, he said, OK, give me give me a minute to, to take a look at it. A couple weeks later, he emailed back. He's like, hey, you know what? We ran some models. We did some testing. We flew some flights and you are right. This is what this tactic is actually doing. And then next thing you know, a couple months later, the tactic came out and it had been revised to take into account our uh, our feedback and that's happening all the time which is um which is really kind of a testimony to the fact that you know it's not a you know ivory tower where the top gun bros are sitting there and saying like sorry we have declared that this is it how it's going to be it's more uh collaborative than that um and the fact that i as a lieutenant could just email another lieutenant and tell him that i i thought he was all screwed up you know and he'd be like yeah sure let me check that out you know that was that was very yeah. gratifying and it, it, it drove home the the fact that like man we're really trying to do something here um you know and we could we could do it he could just he he could sit down as a lieutenant and just change the tactic right he didn't need to get permission from anybody and now that's how every squadron trains and that that that's not an that that hasn't been an easy journey in the early days of top gun or do you probably you know not early day, but you know over the course of top gun there have been varying degrees of pushback from members of the community that have wanted to maintain some of their independence, but it's just been a consistent reinforcing of the culture of, Hey, we're, we're going, you know, because there have been commanding officers and senior officers who have sort of been that umbrella of protection for top gun and said, no, no, let, let them, let them do this. And we are going to operate in accordance with what they put out. That senior level command is translated into a real culture where now something comes out from top gun and people don't, 
you know, people don't fight it. They may question it. They may say, hey, we have a better idea of how to do it. But it's not um, it's not adversarial. You know, it's collaborative. So that, that reminds me. I was a department head when Swifty became a thing. Sure. And and you when you said that, it just reminded me, um, I think it was Stroker Wyckoff. Yeah. Um, was one of my, <laughs> I was the opso. I was one of the, and, and, and he, he, he was one of the original Swifties. Um, so for our listeners, just explain what a Swift Strike is. fighter weapons training instructor. Okay. Um, and Or tactics. What's the tactics? Tactics. tactics. Um, and, and so when you standardize things, um, the fear is you're going to be driving to a lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fear also was that all you'll be doing is uh, training to the test. Right. So the strike fighter weapons training instructor matrix would drive everything. And you couldn't just do a gun's dead out of nowhere or the other stuff that you'd want to do is terms, in terms of independent training. So if you fancy yourself as a really up and locked, tactically savvy squadron, you didn't want oversight. Because you're like, well, Brand X needs help, so they probably should have this kind of oversight. But we're awesome, and we don't need it. Now, obviously, so many years later, that's been proven to not be the case. And as you said, this becomes a culture that's excellence across the the board. But I remember there was great gnashing of teeth in the early days that uh, now we're going to be training to the test, and that was going to drive everything. Right, yeah. Uh, If if you're going to have somebody who's going to make sure to hold that standard... uh, now Admiral Wyckoff's a good, good, good man for it. He was my skipper twice at once at 122 uh, when I was doing my SFTI tour. So that was great. He was a big believer in the program and and pushed the the um, patchware shop to take a really active role in uh, in the tactical development of the squadron. Uh, and then he was my CAG when I was on CAG three staff. And uh, he's headed out to Japan here any week now, uh, CSG five. But you're you're right. They're they're. And there's always been fits and starts, you know, when the when the Tomcat went away and the Super Hornet came on board, there were skippers who said, hey, we're going to we're going to fly the Super Hornet in X, Y, Z way, because maybe that adds up that marries up with my legacy Hornet experience or that marries up with my Tomcat experience. And it took training officers and and a culture of Top Gun uh, sort of assertiveness to say, nope, this is a different airplane. We do things a different way. This is how it's going to it's going to work. And eventually people, you know, understand like, you know what? Hey, we're all here to get no one's no one's trying to get a fit rep bullet by saying I converted so many squadrons to the true gospel. Right. You know, it's all about making naval aviation better and providing a better product, a product that that can execute the the defense strategy of this country. Um, and uh, I think that comes out of kind of out of Top Gun's genesis in in the Vietnam war, you know, it was, it was born out of failure. It was born out of a real dark period for naval aviation. And that ethos has never, uh, has never really dissipated, which I think is, um, pretty amazing. Well, the articles in the special issue lay that out pretty well. Um, the, the Genesis, as you, you described, let's talk about the detailing process. So to be an instructor at Top Gun, obviously you have to have gone through Top Gun yes. as a, as a, a, a student, now that you've been an instructor, what are some of the subjective elements? Because not everybody who goes through there is probably ready to be an instructor. Um, so what, what are you looking for, and, and how does this happen? Are you guys, as, a, as the students are going through, are you always kind of earmarking guys who potentially be candidates to come back, or how does that work? Um, the, so the squadron training officers have a very large role in 
trying to identify people who'd be a good fit for the Top Gun program. So um, the training officers are lieutenants and, and maybe brand new lieutenant commanders who have done a, a, an instructor tour like I did at the RAG or at the weapons school and then have now gone back to the squadron um, to run the squadron's training shop. And they are the primary sort of check valve for which of our officers, which of our junior officers kind of shows some promise. Uh, which of them we, do we think could be a good instructor? And that's what they're looking for, right? They don't look for perfect execution, right? Um, I, I had a flight in here in Fallon where the flight was, you know, just kind of a hot fudge Sunday. It was kind of a mess, you know, <laughs> like, like things did not go well and the, we probably didn't accomplish the mission, but, but I was able as the flight lead to stand up and I was able to diagnose this is where the flight went wrong. This is what we could have done better. This is what I could have done better. And a Top Gun graduate grabbed me out in the P-Way after we were done debriefing. And he was like, that was really impressive. And I was like, that flight, what are you talking about? That flight was terrible. And he's like, I'm not talking about the flight. I'm talking about your ability to draw the lessons learned from that and, and diagnose how to improve. And he said, you should really consider the Top Gun program. And I don't think until that moment it had even entered my mind. Um, but I started kind of paying attention to like, how did I feel about debriefing? Did I enjoy teaching? Did I enjoy um watching kind of watching the light bulb come on um and uh, i was like yeah you know what this is kind of fun and i want to challenge myself and i want to i want to do something that not very many people get to do not because i i you know i want to say that i'm elite but just i want to see if i can do it and um so that kind of sparked me to apply to top gun and um i think you know you don't have to be the best guy in your squadron girl in your squadron to go to top gun you don't you know you you're going to go to Top Gun, and even if you're the best J.O. that's ever happened in the history of your squadron, you're going to fail. And so if you come to that school with a couple failures under your belt, man, you may you may have an easier time adjusting. Um, I know I did, you know, because of flights like the one that I had that was, a, that was a mess. I was like, okay, I can power through this. I can work through it. The key is you have to... You have to care about naval aviation. You have to care about strike fighter aviation and making it better. And you have to care about instructing. You know, you have to care about investing the time in... For me, it was young FRS students. I had to care about teaching some Lieutenant JG for the one millionth time the same thing that I've taught one million JGs before him without getting completely exhausted by it. If you're going to be a squadron um, uh, training officer, you have to care about, hey, I have, to, I have to be able to give a lecture. I have to be able to answer questions. I have to really pour myself into a topic so that I can become the expert on it. And if you think that that's something that, that appeals to you, then, you know, go for it. Um, you know, work with your squadron training officer, express your desire. Um, um, there are lots top top gun graduates do a lot of different things. I was a rag instructor. Um, people stay on and instruct at top gun. People go to the test community. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different, uh, it's, it's not a one size fits all proposition to graduate from top gun, but what we all have in common is we all care deeply about instructing and we all care deeply about making naval aviation better. Um, so I, I would say that those are, pro if you've got that sort of spark, uh, you know, go for it, apply. What the worst they can say is no. And then, you know, you, you do one of the other awesome jobs in this community. Um, but if you apply and you get in, I mean, it's incredible. The, the course itself is incredible. And I learned so much, uh, in my follow on tour about how to be a good instructor about knowing when you have to say, Hey, I need to go back to the book on that. And then you have to track the person down because you didn't know the answer and give them the answer that you didn't have which is a humbling experience, but it's a great tool for an instructor to understand. So you mentioned the apply process, mm -hmm. right? That you, you know, if you feel like you are, 
have all that in you to, to, you know, pursue excellence and also to be a good training officer, right, or an instructor, uh, go ahead and apply. But So in the 80s movie, you know, the squadron CEO is like, I got no choice but to send you guys to Top Gun, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but now is there an application process like applying yes. to grad school is, I mean, how's it work? Sort of. It's like applying for, it's, it's really similar to applying for any Navy program. My, and my knowledge is a little bit dated cause they, they've changed the process slightly, but the gist of it is there's a, there's a kind of a canned application. It comes out three times a year or so. Um, you fill it out, you get letters of recommendation from your chain of command, from a patch wearer in your air wing. Um, you know, someone who, you know, isn't your squadron patch wearer, so a little bit separated from you, um, who can kind of make a more objective assessment. Um, you do your typical data dump of, hey, this is how many flight hours I have, this is how many traps I have, this is where I've been, what I've done, who I am. Um, there's some informal things you can do too. So you can schedule um, flights with, if you're coming on a workup to Fallon, you can schedule flights or briefing labs with the Top Gun staff. Um, that goes a long way because then they can put a face to a name. You can do the same with the weapon schools on your respective coast. You can schedule a flight or a briefing lab or some kind of other interaction with them um, just to show that you kind of care about the process. Um, and then you, you kind of package all this together and you ship it off to Fallon. Um, in my day, you used to um, specify, hey, I, this is my priority of where I want to go. I want to be a RAG guy in Lemoore. I want to be a RAG guy in Oceana. I want to be a weapon school guy here or there. I think that has changed slightly. I think there's more say from the SFTI community in terms of um, parceling out who goes where um, instead of just kind of a preference list, um, just to make sure that they're kind of uh, filling all the all the the gaps. Um, but classes are small, uh, and the application only happens three times a year, so you kind of have to decide if you're going to go for it and then go for it. It's not like um, you know the kind of maverick and goose where you got to send two people from every squadron. It goes in waves. Sometimes you'll get years where a squadron doesn't send anybody. And sometimes you'll get squadrons that send five or six people in a row. Um, a lot of that, that has to do with the training officer and the squadron. If the training officer is good che kind of cheerleader for the Top Gun program, you're going to have more JOs that want to give it a try. Um, uh, if you have a good front office and maybe they're patch wearers, you know, you may look at the skipper and be like, yeah, I want to be like, I want to be like the skipper. Um, so squadrons pass on their opportunity. It's So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a number of people not by squadron. So Top Gun okay. puts out that we are accepting X number of pilots, X number of Wizzos, and X number of Marines, and X number of air trap, uh, AICs, uh, air intercept controllers. Um, the end. You know, and they kind of say, we don't care where they come from, but if you want to apply, get your application in. And, and a, a, good, a good training officer, a good skipper, is going to find the people in the squadron that, that they think have promise and kind of encourage them to apply but you know it's there's no quota per per squadron because all of your training officers are filled on the backside from people from shore command so the people that are going to top gun aren't coming right back they're going off and doing something else so these are jos who are at the end of their three-year sea duty and then they're going to do their shore door duty at top gun and then in a top gun instructor capacity and then they come back to the squadron to, or they go to a squadron, not back necessarily. They go to a squadron three years later. So every squadron has. So is the training officer in every squadron a, a Swifty? Yes, and, and and that's doctrine. That's mandated. Yes. Okay. And each single seat squadron has a uh, has one, and then each uh, two seat squadron has a two, a pilot and an NFO. Okay. Okay. Um, so because 
I hadn't thought of it until you were just talking about the fact that um, squadrons don't have quotas because that was everything back in the day. You know, you, you'd send one crew every interdeployment training cycle. Yeah. And then that was kind of it, right? And those guys would be your subject matter experts. Generally, they had a shelf life. That problem has been solved now with the fact that every training officer is uh, a Swifty. Right. SFTI. Um, and uh, so... What it, and we asked this question to Buzz Snodgrass when he was on a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn uh, that you beyond the tactical sort of expertise? What What did Top Gun teach you uh, when you were an instructor about you know the, the the cultural piece, which you've talked a little bit already, but um, maybe how much you, your work ethic could be improved or tweaked or yeah. how far you, how much research was required. I mean, what, what do you, what do you take with you from that experience from that people might of, not think about, uh, you know, straight right. off, off the top? Um, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you learn, so, it, it, you learn so much. Objectively speaking, it seems like a very short course. 12 weeks is not that much time, but it is such a pressurized atmosphere. You learn a lot about, what you can personally do, you know, you learn kind of how to push yourself, how to uh, uh, kind of persevere uh, through difficulty. I mean, it's a it's a challenging course that the instructors are, like I said, they are there to help you and they are there to help you succeed. But they are not, you know, Santa Claus just giving out A pluses all the time that they, they're serious about the work. And so, um, you know, the Top Gun CEO typically will say, you know, some of you are here and have never failed a thing in your life and, you know, welcome to failure. You know, you will fail. And that is absolutely true. And learning how to recover from that um, is, a, is a huge uh, a huge lesson that I think we all have to learn. And Top Gun does a good job of kind of forcing that lesson upon you. Um, man, I don't know. I think I personally I gained a, a very strong kind of historical perspective in terms of like why – this program is bigger than just my sort of soda straw view of getting a patch and being a training officer at the FRS, right? I went there because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the RAG. I wanted to develop the syllabus. I wanted to teach new students. I wanted to help uh, the, you know, the instructor cadre. And I got there and I was like, you know, what finishing up, I was like, wow, this is bigger than that. This is, this is real, uh, outgrowth of the memory of the of the Vietnam War. I mean, we we are here as Top Gun graduates to ensure that the kinds of losses that happened in Vietnam never happen again. And that didn't really hit home until you know they're 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 putting the patch on my shoulder and they they give a little speech and talk a little bit about the history of the program and the kind of the magnitude of it was just like whoa you know like you're you know the Navy is such a big historical thing that I think it's a great feeling that we all feel a part of in some way, you know, his, history and whatever, John Paul Jones and World War II. And, you know, you could just list all of the things that are part of our legacy. But then when it becomes personal to you, that was something that I didn't expect and something that was really, it was really impressive to, to feel that like, oh, wow, I'm part of this now. I have an obligation now to do the best I can. And I think that's probably what I took away from it most. And then I think the dealing with the sort of the personal feeling of dealing with failure and moving on and, and going through your career. I think that has sort of benefited me a lot more long-term uh, to plug myself for reasons you may learn about in an upcoming issue of Proceedings Magazine. Uh, 
in uh, November, maybe. Foreshadowing the November yeah. issue, yes. Um, it, that, it, you know, the school teaches you a lot about who, who you are and what you, can, what you can go through. And it ties you into naval aviation in a really, um, in a really touching kind of personal way, which, which uh, was completely unexpected, I think. So, Heed, you are right now um, a staff officer at Strike Fighter Wings Atlantic at That's Oceana. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. What's your job there? I'm the uh, assistant operations officer, so uh, uh, yeah, I just I deal with a lot of scheduling and cats and dogs, things that come up, and things that the opso doesn't want to deal with, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's good; it, it keeps me flying, and I love being in Oceana. I work for great people, so uh, it's nice a uh, nice change of pace from the department head tour. Now, are you uh, de- are you screened for XO or CO? Uh, I screen. Are you in terms uh, of your your career development? So I I'll put on. Uh, uh, Career de- I'm a work in progress so far as career development goes. <laughs> we all. Uh, I, uh, I'll be putting on uh, 05 here shortly. Um, I did not screen for command. I'm looking at uh, a couple other things uh, in the future um, for, uh, for my, my personal career track. I'm looking at the permanent military professor program, if you're familiar with that. Uh, yes. I know we've talked about that uh, offline. Um, and then I'm, uh, I'm currently getting a degree from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, um, which will get uh, through the Navy, which will uh, give me a, a subspecialty code in uh, geopolitical strategy, kind of thinking big thoughts. So uh, thanks to my involvement in the Naval Institute, I have uh, sort of started thinking more big thoughts about what the Navy is and why the Navy is and where should we be going. And so I'm hoping to uh, kind of explore that part of the uh, part of the Navy a little bit, kind of broaden my perspective uh, in part because of my Naval Institute membership. So, so potential maybe to be on the faculty of the Naval Academy or Naval War College or postgraduate school? I hope so. That'd be a lot of fun. I would love, I, I just, I remember very fondly at the Academy, my civilian instructors and my military instructors were such an important part of my development. Um, the civilian instructors were brilliant. You could tell that they had um, written and thought and published about so many amazing things, but the military instructors really brought the why to it. And I would love, I learned that at the RAG. I loved, like I said, I loved watching the light bulb go on for a young FRS student. When you explained a concept to a, a young student aviator and suddenly they were like, oh yeah, like you could see them get it. And that was the best. That was the best. And so to be able to do that on kind of a broader scale for midshipmen, um, would just be incredible uh, to tie the theory and the academic practices that they are learning to real-world experience. You know, uh, my career as an aviator, um, I would just, I would be thrilled to take some of that perspective, uh, uh, primarily to Annapolis, but I'm, I'm exploring uh, War College and post-grad school as well. Well, good luck with that. Those are two great options, and I think you'd be fantastic in that environment. So here we are at Tailhook. Um, as we said, you're our first guest here. You're like Richie Havens at Woodstock, the first act. Um, so when you think of Tailhook, what what comes to mind? What what? Um, the first time I came here, uh, I was a junior officer in my first fleet squadron, and uh, I was just like, "Cool, free weekend in Reno. You know, we'll go and we'll get some free stuff, and you know, it'll be great." And then I came back a couple years later, and the the official name is the Tailhook Reunion, and that's when that kind of came home to me. It was everywhere I went. I was seeing people and, you know, reuniting with people that I haven't seen in years. Uh, and that's the best part is you, you run into so many people that you just you have this connection with. And then, you know, it's kind of time and tide kind of take you away. 
uh, from them. And then you reconnect here and you're telling old stories and, and asking about people's families. And um, th that part is great. I mean, just walking over here to, to sit down with you guys, I ran into a buddy of mine from my FRS instructor days who I haven't seen in forever. And we just got to chat a little bit and that was great. So I love that. Um, I love that the flag leadership gets up and kind of puts themselves out there in front of the crowd for uh, some some question and answer. I think that that takes a lot of courage uh, and you get some really good questions sometimes. Um, and it's neat to kind of see some of the, you know, future developments, things that's going on around naval aviation. So there's a good professional piece to it too. So as I've kind of matured uh, by an infinitesimal amount over the course of my career, it's been, uh, it's been fun to kind of incorporate the reunion piece and then uh, a little bit more of the professional development beyond sort of the kind of free weekend in, uh, in Reno, watching my friends lose, uh, lose at the tables. All right. Well, this was a great first episode from the convention center here in, uh, at the Nugget, uh, Tailhook 2019. And uh, Graham Scarborough, Heed, thanks for stopping by yeah, and being our first guest and, and reminding people once again that victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll catch you again probably in a couple hours. Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman applies electromagnetic maneuver warfare to seamlessly target and combat enemy threats across any domain. By leveraging traditional spectrum-based and next-generation innovations, they're giving your forces a decisive advantage. That's why they're a leader in transformative airborne EW. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com slash EW.